Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. Well, hello everyone and welcome. Today's guest is an incredible friend and someone whose artistic and creative voice is one that I have definitely been intrigued by. It's been really cool to sort of see the different facets of her like unfold as I've gotten to know her. So today I'm talking to Gail Clendenin. Gail is an Ohio-based swing dancer, media expert, and RPG, which is role-playing game, gaming enthusiast. I met Gail through swing dancing probably like an eon ago, if I'm being totally honest. I've been dancing since like 99, and it's really hard to keep track of (laughs) when and where I met someone. I just feel like I've known Gail for a long time. And, you know, through swing dancing, it's really cool because it, it, the people who swing dance are some of the most incredible, loving, talented people. And it's been really interesting seeing how having a shared interest in something like vintage jazz dancing or Lindy Hop or Balboa connects us to people we wouldn't normally hang out with. Um, not that I, I wouldn't normally hang out with Gail. I would definitely normally hang out with Gail, uh, but I wouldn't know her if it wasn't for swing. And um, I'm sure a lot of people in the dance community feel that way about some of their closest friends have come to them uh, through swing dancing. Anyway, uh, I reached out to Gail to come on the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast because I've been enjoying seeing her posts and her enthusiasm for tabletop role-playing games or RPGs as I've now learned that they're called. During this interview, I learned so, 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 so much, I can't even emphasize the so, uh, about gaming, and I had a feeling going into the interview that I was going to come out really uh, wanting to try it out, and I have made my first account uh, for an online (laughs) thing and got my computer, my sound devices, everything set up for that, Uh, but... I even ordered dice, I I will admit that, and they have sparkles in them in case you were wondering. (laughs) Beyond that, uh, just the the curiousness of like, what is this, you know, I've seen people in the park doing it, what is it they're doing, what's going on. Um, I learned through this interview that there are so many overlaps between what Gail does as as a dungeon master, game master, and what I do in terms of like leading meditations. And the conversation that I had with her today sparked a deep and intense curiosity for me in terms of like what is storytelling, what's its role in helping people come to an understanding of each other and um, their own emotions as well as the emotions of others and, and how stories and games, particularly RPGs, allow processing to happen in a safe, sort of held imaginary environment uh, before we take on situations like this um, in real life or IRL, so to speak. So, so many um, research articles have been written about stories as a way to teach children and adults social morals, things like empathy and a myriad of other skills. So, like, everywhere from everybody goes potty to 
you know, big concepts like how to let go or how to grieve. In addition, researchers like Joseph Campbell have written books about the functioning and formats of storytelling, like A Hero with a Thousand Faces and A Hero's Journey. I even remember this kind of concept of like how a like hero or an awareness goes through a journey being used on a retreat <laughs> where we use that format to plot, plot out where we were in the process. So to look at our lives and our, our journey through certain topics or in certain cases and, and um, how these, not loops, I don't want to call them loops, but these patterns maybe, maybe that's a better word for them, I'm not sure, happen both at a micro and macro level as we develop our personalities, our skills, as we come into who we are. I mentioned the research because I'm currently trying to work out how best to help clients with meditation imagery and being open to having what we might call experiences or like visualizations. And after talking to Gail, it seemed to me like almost a miracle, honestly, that like a, that a story like could could be not resisted at all and could be imagined and experienced like maybe in the in the mental image of the players but also like in their emotional awareness like somehow during an RPG all the players go through an emotional and intellectual journey guided by their imaginations and not once did my friend tell me that the players sit there and say I can't picture that <laughs> I don't get it <laughs> they don't there's the the resistance isn't there and so it really it really got me thinking because I hear people all the time say that when they like try to do meditation and they close their eyes and then try try to engage with an image all they see is 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 blackness or they just can't picture what an emotion is like or they can't pull that up in themselves or more or less they feel blocked. So I'm curious, like, what is the magic of, of role-playing games and how how is maybe the resistance lowered? Because I feel like meditation is probably something that you put a lot of pressure on. Like, I'm doing this for my health and I want to be good at it. Or I hear all these people do this, this, and this with meditation and I never get to go on a spirit journey or, or whatever. But in an RPG, the assumption is just that you can imagine it together and, and you create the idea of what's happening together. And that is so cool. I I am so interested in that. So I, like I said, I've I've started taking micro steps <laughs> toward entering this community and, and seeing what's possible there. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really cool to hear about this and I kind of also wonder if it's like the group illusion, like if the group, um, everyone being involved in it, everyone having a part in it also like makes people feel empowered to be able to like engage that part of their imagination or... It would also be interesting to know, like, if people who already are imaginative and, like, enjoy stories are just attracted to RPGs in a way that other people maybe aren't who, you know, aren't open to that. I don't know. Just questions I have. So, either way, there's so many correlations between being a meditation guide and being a game master in terms of setting overarching themes and the context for the action or the idea or the, or the play to occur, in my case, for the meditation imaging to occur, and then letting the meditator or the players fill in the blanks. So as a guide, and you'll hear Gail talk about this, 
you could say picture yourself in a comfortable situation. Feel free to imagine the chair that you're on or maybe you're laying down in your imagination. Um, yeah, so anyway, and then the person brings what they want to that scenario. I learned so much about my talented friend and about gaming, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Gail. Hello, Gail, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so happy to have you on for our discussion today. Can you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Gail <laughs> Clendenin, and I am a game master or keeper of arcane lore or GM or DM um, out of Columbus, Ohio. That's amazing. Okay, you're going to have to break down some of the, um, the wording for me. GM and DM stands for... Absolutely. Game master or dungeon master. Yes. Uh, and I, the kinds of games that I run are tabletop role-playing games. So there's terminology for this stuff, but um, I think most people have heard the phrase RPG or role-playing game thrown around. Um, and RPGs can apply to video games or they can apply to games that you play with people like sitting around a table. And so when you just want to talk about games that you play with people at a table and not video games, you'd say a tabletop RPG. And that's the kind of game that I uh, run. Dungeons and Dragons is probably the most famous kind of tabletop RPG. So I'm just curious, like, how did you get into this? Like, how did you start down the, the game, the game <laughs> playing direction? Sure. So um, I grew up in a family that played a lot of games um, with other people. Um, we played a lot of Balderdash. We had a game where we would have sing-offs with other people, taboo, catchphrase. So game playing is definitely um, like in the wheelhouse of me and my family growing up. Um, but I got into role-playing games um, uh, more recently as an adult, um, I had a friend who um, has been doing this hobby for a long time. Um, and she told me about um, something called Critical Role. Critical Role is um, a show that's broadcast on Twitch and on YouTube. It's a bunch of really good voice actors, professional voice actors who live in LA. And initially as a hobby, they started this in their home and then they later put it online. Um, they were playing Dungeons and Dragons and decided that they would share their home game um, uh, online and start sharing those stories. That's incredible. So my, my friend was listening to it, um, and because they they do voices and they act um, for a living, uh, mm -hmm. the things that they're creating, the things that they're improvising together as a group, and they have you know, and their friends, they have these existing relationships. Um, the stories that they were creating were really big and epic. Um, and so my friend was loving it and she knew that I really liked, you know, fantasy and big stories. And she said, I really think you would like listening to this, check it out. So I started watching Critical Role and fell in love with it. And they were using Dungeons and Dragons to help tell these stories together. Um, and to make these like improvised moments happen. Um, and the longer I watched, the more I was like, I love this. I have to try doing it. Um, and so, uh, my husband and I, um, got a couple of friends and we started a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons, 
But here's the thing. Um, I am a little bit of a creepy girl at heart. Um, (laughs) Me too. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And at the same time that this was happening, um, I had been reading um, stories by um, H.P. Lovecraft. So um, Lovecraft was writing in the 20s and the 30s. Um, these cosmic horror stories. So they're not slasher stories. They're not really gory at all. They're more about um, the the fear and the insanity that can come from discovering knowledge that is too big and too inevitable for your human mind to comprehend. <laughs> there's like, there's cults, there's like these alien gods that um, are completely indifferent to humanity. There's like magic. Um, Einstein was, you know, just was becoming famous for his, um, his work at that time. And so Lovecraft pulls in like, um, you know, people who dig too deep into the realm of math and discover like other dimensions and ways Uh of traveling and they go insane because of it. Um, (laughs) if you like Edgar Allan Poe, you might like HP Lovecraft. Um, and I'm one of the people who certainly does. And so I knew from reading this, or I had heard that there was a whole role-playing game, um, that was based on this kind of lore of HP Lovecraft called the call of Cthulhu. And so what I really wanted to do was try that tabletop role-playing game, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, alone in my house, basically, I picked up that rule book and started reading through it and figuring it out and running it for some friends at home. And I was completely hooked on it. Um, I loved that instead of being um, a, an, a, a strong hero with a great sword you are a puny human uh, with your wits and uh, maybe a gun <laughs> against something that's that's really too big for you to handle. Um, and so, like your own wits as a player are really what um, what get you through like an investigation. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of the time, you play the game set in the 1920s, which is yeah. like a fun, sassy time to. Um, to get to pretend to be in. Um, if you're going to be a, just a regular human, why not be a regular human in the 1920s when like the cars are sexy and everybody's <laughs> drinking and, you know, the fashion is kind of fabulous. Um, so that's how I got started. Okay. Uh, that sounds fucking fantastic to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to put the explicit warning on this. <laughs> well if you're gonna do it I'll do it (laughs) deal the call of Cthulhu that okay I so I kind of I have a lot of friends that are into gaming like you and you know Chris Schoenfelder oh yeah yeah he has a long-running game with a couple people and I like I keep looking at it and I'm like oh that might be fun and I just like I guess I don't know enough about it to step into it but that would be like the ideal game for me. <laughs> so when you play like Call of Cthulhu, are you playing that in real life or are you playing that online? Well, before the coronavirus, I was almost always playing it in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a group of friends in my hometown and we would get together um, and we had a long running game um, 
we had, we have, we'll go back to it. Yeah. Um, we have a long running game um, that we, I would call a campaign. Sometimes people say they have campaigns running. It just means the story keeps going and keeps going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you finish one idea or one chapter of your story, but you pick up another one. Um, but I also, uh, through this hobby, have um, connected with people at um, conventions. So sometimes you hear about like anime conventions or conventions where people go and they um, create, you know, really elaborate costumes from like uh, TV shows or cartoons. Yeah. Um, there are whole conventions for people who love to play games, not just the kind I'm describing, but also board games. Um, you know, there are people who are creating board games and card games strategy games and um you know they there are conventions to come together and play those and introduce them to new audiences um and uh, in fact there's a there's a pretty big one in columbus where i live called origins mm-hmm. um and there's an even bigger one not too far away um one of the biggest in the nation so anyway there's there's gaming conventions around um and through those i have met a whole community of people um who do this so uh, anyway i'm sure we'll talk more about community but um, suffice to say, there are lots of opportunities if you want them to yeah. go play with people you know or with um, new strangers um, and, so, uh, and do that in person. Do you dress up? Like, do you finger wave your hair and like <laughs> put on a flapper outfit to, to run on college? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, is this too intimate to go on a podcast? No, not at all. Um, (laughs) so, um, I have seen very few people dress up to play Call of Cthulhu. However, you asked me this question. So here, here's what I do. Um, I love putting on a little theme, something or another to run the game, but Oh, it's your Oh, sure. No. Ella, no. <laughs> go bed. Ella, go bed. Okay, I think she stopped. No she problem. She's just singing us a song. Okay, I apologize for that. So since oh, I okay. asked you. Yeah, I'll, I'll restart my idea. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I love putting on some kind of themed something. Mm. Uh, to play the game. So, but it's more about um, making my players a little upset or a little concerned. <laughs> uh, for example, one of the first things I found just out in the wild was a t-shirt and just up on the collar, it has the word destroyer stitched on it. Uh-huh. I love that shirt. Um, I have a new sweatshirt that says obey mind control, uh, which is a theme that comes up you know, sometimes, um, I wore, uh, a new dress that I got just for this interview today. I know you can't see it, but I'm letting you know that it's covered in large, scary mouths and graffiti that say like, alone and beware. (laughs) Oh, I fucking love that. (laughs) And don't touch me. And it's just, it's weird. Uh, But anything that just makes them, it has like a big zombie hand popping out of the ground on it. Um, anyway, just anything that makes them like, mm, okay, well, what might happen in this game makes me feel happy. Yes. Oh, there's this, um, really interesting sort of, um, concept in art theory where you take something that is familiar 
and then you add just a little bit of something that makes it unfamiliar and it, yes. it actually increases the like I mean you might look at something that's like bloody and gory and have like a revulsion to it right Mm-hmm. But this actually has more of a power to it because it is simultaneously attractive and familiar and unfamiliar. And so it like pushes the right kind of buttons to actually create real horror for a person. Nice. And yeah, like I love that you do that. <laughs> that, that brings me <laughs> joy. So for someone like coming into a story like that, I guess they have to they have to find someone to read for them or I I guess I'm just curious, like, so when you were starting, you said you picked up the game, you read through the rule book, you gathered your people together, and then you started playing. So there's, there's a couple of other things that I did. Um, so in a tabletop role-playing game, um, there, are, there are two sides to what's happening. So there's the person who's running the game, and they usually have a slightly different name depending on what actual game you're playing. And there, there's dozens and dozens of them with different themes. You, you know, you might be into like a modern um, cyberpunk genre or something that's very like tactical and war based, um, or this, you know, Call of Cthulhu is one, Dungeons and Dragons is one, etc. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, in my game, I am the keeper. Um, in Dungeons and Dragons, you're the dungeon master. Anyway, yes. you have the person running the game and then you have the players. That's everybody else at the table um, who, and they are the individual players in the story. So each of them is a part of the action and what's happening. And there are a couple of things that are really cool about tabletop RPGs that I really love. So the first one is that the game is not the, the dungeon master or the keeper versus the players. My job when I'm running a game is to present them with a story and give them options and opportunities to make choices for their characters to have success and failure and engage with the story. So I'm laying out a scenario. Um, you know, it might be... Uh, all of you are, are a part of a detective team, a detective agency, and you've gotten a call today and Mrs. Smith says, you know, um, I have this house that I usually rent out and last week all of the tenants um, left abruptly in the middle of the night. They said they, were, they heard all these strange sounds and blood was coming down the walls and they all got terrified and they, they grabbed their stuff and they left. Nobody will come back. I don't know what to do. I need you mm-hmm. guys to check it out. And so each of them has their characters and their characters have some stuff they're good at. They might be good at um, investigating or sneaking or breaking into places or they might be really good at using a gun. Mm -hmm. Um, And they all go together to the house. And so I know as the person running, you know, creating the story, or I might be using something that somebody else wrote. I don't have to write it myself. Um, I might have, you know, a booklet or a book that I bought that tells me you know, has maps and tells me all the details so I can just present it to them. I've read it a couple of times ahead. Of, you know, I've made some notes and I'm presenting it to my player. So you don't have to make everything up yourself to do this, which is great. Thank goodness. Anyway, so they go to the house and they start telling me what they want to do. Okay. We want to sneak up to the house. You know, we want to go through the back door. Or we want to creep in through the window. Um, and I have like a map of the house and I know what's in each room. And mm-hmm. as they make their choices, you I reveal. start letting them know. I, yeah, I start revealing what's in there. 
I try to give them really good descriptions, you know, like you look in and, and you can see dried blood stains down all the walls and you hear this low creaking sound. And then I see, okay, what do they want to do next? Do they want to, you know, scrape some of the blood off? Do they want to, you know, do they want to touch it? Do they want to go towards the sound? Do they want to avoid the sound? Like, what do they want to do? Um, and there's probably some like weird and creepy stuff that happens. And when it does, you know, I'll roll and I'm the one, you know, I'm the one who has to act out all of the, all of the bad or dangerous stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm totally okay with if they get hurt or if somebody gets, you know, killed in the game, like that's fine with me. It's fun. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to shy away from that. Like I get excited too, but my job is not to defeat them. My job is to make it as interesting as possible and let them make a lot of interesting choices. And when they say they want to do something, my job is hopefully to figure out how that's possible, what they would need to do to at least try to accomplish what they want, their goals. That's um, so cool. I love it. And the, the thing that's so cool to me about doing this, um, you know, in a, in a big general sense, is that um, when I walk away from a game, like I have such clear memories of what happened, whether mm -hmm. I'm a player or a game runner. It's, it, it's not like when you tell somebody about a show that you liked where it, it definitely feels like it was something else. It's something you observed. It doesn't feel like that to me because you're there, you're there and you're experiencing emotions and you're experiencing excitement and you're rolling dice sometimes and the dice are unexpected. You never know. You might have a really amazing success or you might have a really big failure and totally your character falls down the stairs at, at a really important moment mm -hmm. and you have to deal with that, right? Yeah. Um, but the, those emotions and the excitement and everybody there at the table or it might be on the computer, everybody there on the computer, like you feel that. And so later on when you remember it, you remember it in the first person. You're like, I did this and this is what happened to us we experience this thing together. Even though you're all you're using your imaginations and you're pretending, you still had that experience. The things that you said, the choices that you made, the humor of it, it's still a real first person experience. Yes. Um, which the emotions is, are real. Yeah. Yeah. And the humor of it is real. You know, yes. even in a horror game, there's always laughter. Um, and, and there's always, you know, to break the tension. Um, and I just, I, I love that. I love these, you know, these great stories, these great experiences that I've had, um, as a, as a game runner and as a player. Um, and I, I, you know, it's, it's an incredible imaginative experience. This is such a huge and important thing, I think, because I, so I work sometimes as a meditation coach and mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest struggles that I feel like a lot of people have, and I, I know that like this is sort of similar to meditation, but not, so this might be a little bit of a stretch, is that they'll say that like they can't imagine something. Like they're like, I see nothing or I experience nothing. Or like, you know, when you, mm -hmm. when you say close your eyes and pretend like you're, you know, um, near, near a waterfall. And they're like, no, it's all just blank and I'm bored. But what, mm. like, I feel like 
you have described a situation in which an, any number of people get together and all imagine something together. And to me, that's so incredible because if I, I feel like what I'm hearing is like everybody's capable of doing that and no one is saying to you, I can't imagine it. Ooh, that's interesting. So it sounds to me like part of what you're describing is like the different kinds of um, mind's eye mm-hmm. that people have which I, I feel like we've seen more like articles and, and commentary about recently. Yep. Like some people have really, um, really detailed, you know, full color images that they can sort of pull up in their mind and others have um, more of a sketch version and, and others um, might have a, a, a mental voice, but not really images. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like there's so much more variety in that than we mm-hmm. necessarily realize. Um, so I would say that in the experience so far, um, there are, there are many, many people who can participate in role-playing games. My caveat is that not everybody wants to, Mm -hmm. um, I do have, um, people that I know who have given it a shot and, um, the, the, like the attention span to go through <laughs> the process uh-huh. because like sometimes you're in a fight and um, everybody has like a turn and it's not your turn for a second. Uh-huh. Um, and um, like it, it takes some, it takes some attention span to kind of, you know, be patient and hear what other people do and be thinking about, okay, so what does that, you know, I heard what they do and I'm, th- and so what does that mean for me? Uh-huh. Um, but I also think that there are a lot of kinds of role-playing game. And so like the one that I love doesn't have to be the one that you like at all. Like that's really okay. Um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is a huge famous one. Um, you might not be a fantasy person. You know, I understand that that's not everybody's favorite genre. It's not what everybody reads. Why would it be what everybody plays? Right. Um, maybe you're really a strategy person. Um, even in my own family, like, um, I, I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, and my next brother after me, um, also loves playing games. In fact, more than me, he loves playing all kinds of games. Um, and he and I play game, he and I play tabletop role-playing games really differently. Um, he wants to open every single box. He wants to find <laughs> the strangest objects possible. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would rather do that and rather be in just big epic combat. He just wants to have like a really big juicy fight. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, then be in like a conversation with some people in a town. Meanwhile, my favorite game has investigations all the time. Go find out what happened. Go piece the details together. Uh-huh. And you fight sometimes, but when you fight it's super dangerous. Um and you might be better off if you figured out a clever way to avoid that fight. Yeah. That's that's totally okay. Like it's completely okay that my brother wants, we could be playing the same game and he's really wishing that we played it. We played it focusing on a different kind of thing than what I would want to focus on. It probably means like he wants to play with a different group of people than me. Like we've Mm -hmm. been in games together before and we can find kind of a happy medium, but really for both of us to be having our very favorite game we're probably in different (laughs) games and that's totally okay it's completely okay the point is like 
there's so many kinds of role-playing games. And there are also ones that are short. Um, for example, um, I have, uh, and I, I will make sure that you have um, a link to this to put in your show notes because it's just so fun. Um, there are, um, there are games that are called one page RPGs. Um, and it just means that everything you need to run this really basic game fits on one piece of paper mm -hmm. instead of being like a whole book with all these detailed rules. Um, and I've been playing one recently and running one called goat crashers. And <laughs> it's the idea that is so simple and ridiculous. You are a goat who really wants to go to a party, but the problem is humans are the ones throwing all the awesome parties, <laughs> but damn it, you're going to go to an awesome party and have your best time. And so everybody who's playing makes a goat character. You might be a mountain goat or a fainting goat and you ha you're going to go to a party and you have a goal. Like maybe you want a goodie bag or maybe you want um, to dance with the coolest person there or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then um, the person running the game tells you what kind of party there is and all the goats go and they all try to accomplish their goals Maybe something crazy goes down in the middle. So I just ran it this weekend, um, and I had all my goats go to um, a cool skating rink in 1996. Yeah. And so I like looked up all this music that was popular in 1996, which, by the way, turned out to be a very cool year for music slash ridiculous. Um, in the middle of the skating rink party, uh, one of my goat players did like a groovy, slow skate dance to um, Genuine's Pony. Yes! That was hot. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like her high point. Uh -huh. um, I had goats who were trying to make sure all the humans were distracted so they could eat all of their food. Uh. They were like mowing down tables of pop and like mozzarella sticks. Yes. Um, and, and then in the middle of it, um, they stopped a heist. Some a couple of guys were trying to steal all the shoes from like the skate <laughs> rental and the goats shut it down. All it right, was good. chaotic. It was real dumb. And we oh, had right. a great time. <laughs> and the whole thing took like two and a half hours. Every, like everything we needed to know was done in two and a half hours. Nobody had to like, you know, know anything before mm -hmm. they came to the table with me. It was so fun. That and the next time I run it, I'll pick a different party, you yes. know? <laughs> that sounds freaking <laughs> amazing and like crazy fun. Yeah, I think I still I'm still so impressed with like the the buy-in of everyone to like do an imagination thing together. And I think because <laughs> <laughs> it's I feel like I feel like there's a perception in, in meditation and I know like I'm bringing this back to the meditation thing, but there's a perception yeah, in course. meditation that like you have to train really hard to do it and only certain people can do it. And I think that in mm -hmm. gaming, the, the, um, like setup, the framework around like, let's imagine something together is we can all do this. We're all doing this together. Let's help each other and have fun. And Ooh, I love that idea of let's help each other. Yeah. I, I think that's really true, especially at a good table. Um, there's always that person who's like, who's convinced that like their idea and what their character wants to do is the most important thing in the world. But <laughs> by and large, like by far what I see is people are really interested in, in 
having everybody at the table add something because it's more interesting when that happens. Totally. Yeah. I think just as, well, as a, as a meditation teacher and, and again, somebody who coaches people through like imagining things, but also like as an artist, so I think artists create stories. And what I'm hearing from you is that you're kind of like an artist painting pictures for people to have interactions in. I like mm-hmm. see so much power in how stories help us understand ourselves and like also our emotions better. And I like, I, I, we can kind of bring this back around to a question, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how gaming helps people with awareness and self-acceptance. Ooh. So, um, I can, uh, I can do some spitballing on this, but I can tell you there's a, there's a deeper well, um, on the relationship between RPGs and self-awareness and, um, uh, like mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is ongoing exploration and work being done, um, using, um, role-playing and specifically like role-playing games or this model of role-playing games um, actually is a therapeutic technique. Um, I wish there were more that I could say about it. Um, I'm, re- I'm really intrigued by it, but um, that's what? sort I of the too. extent of what I know. I know that there are, ther- there are therapists who are using um, this model um, in, in, in therapeutic settings with patients, with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, to help them explore um, challenging situations and making choices um, and also exploring difficult emotions. Um, and uh, it's it's a space that I don't know enough about yet, um, but one that I think is really interesting. So with that caveat aside, I can tell you um, what I have seen and what I have asked some of my um my gaming friends about actually, um, sort of in preparation for our conversation today. Yes, Um, I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So a couple of things. Um, In my own experience, um, I would say, first of all, that, um, so I have have developed um, anxiety and depression as an adult, like in my 30s, I've I've gotten these things. Um, And for me, um, one thing that's been really valuable is um, having gaming, having the community around gaming, and also um, the the flow state of running a game. Yes, um, where I am um, watching the table, thinking about the possible options that someone will choose and how to um, how to bring those into play, keeping the details of the scenario in my head. Um, it just like it has these multiple layers that I'm you know, kind of keeping running in my mind at the same time. There's really, um, there's a really beautiful like flow state and just highly engaged space um, that I love being in when I'm running a game. Um, there's absolutely a high for that, um, that I, I love being in. I'm always in a great space um, when I'm running a game and after I'm running a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it just keeps me engaged with people um, during quarantine. Um, being engaged with people online, running games online has been really, um, really just a great thing for my, like my ongoing mental wellness yeah. um, to continue to be in community. It's been so much fun actually to, um, to be able to have people have extra time, time that they don't <laughs> usually have, right. Cause we're not really going anywhere, um, to spend more time gaming. Um, 
anyway, in, in that way, it's been a great thing for my own mental wellness and just, um, just a, a space to be, you know, creative and, and really happy, which is always something I look for in my life. Um, another thing that's, that I think is a, a pretty universal, um, positive for people that I've asked for myself is that, um, I think we often really try to find spaces where we can build community. Um, and for many people, um, being involved in role-playing games, if you can find people to play with, you can build community around gaming, whether that's going to, um, conventions like those weekend events, Mm -hmm. um, and meeting people there, or it's having an ongoing group, um, that you meet with around the place that you live, um, people find community and they find relationships because of gaming. Um, it's hard to spend hours at a table with someone over and over again and not, um, not have some kind of positive experience. Yeah. And in community experience because of that. Um, as I look at some of the, some of the other things that, um, some of the other sort of, uh, growth or support that people have gotten through gaming. I, I threw this out to the um, the group that I've been gaming with through during quarantine. Um, and uh, here are some of the things that they said to me um, or wrote to me. Um, one of them said, um, it challenged me to be more open and speak up. Otherwise my character would never get to do anything. <laughs> um, as I've watched the kids that I've started playing with, teens really, grow up and become remarkable human beings, um, I can see they've certainly used the lessons learned around the gaming table. Um, another person says, it has definitely helped me to communicate with my son because we have this common gaming background to fall on, to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, one friend who runs and writes a lot of games says, um, I've become better with criticism. Now I beg for it because I want to run good games. So I need to know how people honestly feel about them. Mm. So accepting criticism over the years has improved. Um, she also says, I've faced a lot of my fears. I was afraid of playing my first character, creating my first character, running my first game, writing my first game, going to my first convention, um, creating my own club, writing my first module, publishing, um, running games online. It's constant growth, overcoming fears. And I, I think one of the things that um, I see there in her comments is um, that when you're doing all of these things, especially if you're if you're someone who's really introverted um when you're when you're gaming you're doing all these things in front of people so um you know i think a lot of the time we're we're afraid of of trying new things because we we worry about how other people will see us Mm -hmm. trying something new we only want to show what we've done once we feel like we're really experts at it yeah but on for good or for bad, um, you kind of, you can't run a game without players or you can't play in a game without players. You don't have to run a game, you know, right off the bat. Um, and so when you do this, um, your first time, your second time, your every time you do it with other people. And so there's that, there's simply that experience of putting yourself out there when you're new, um, and, and finding, yeah. And finding that, um, no one's going to beat you up for it. In fact, there's huge support. At least what I've, what I've experienced is really huge support for new players and a lot of acceptance and interest in people 
you know, uh, coming to the table. Yeah, I that's so huge because I think to some degree we don't want to show ourselves until we're like practiced or perfect is is yes. in some ways like a desire to like only be accepted, right? But then it it also it, what the thing that we're getting rid of, right? The inexperience or the mistakes like mm-hmm. is still part of like who we are. So in mm-hmm. some ways we like block ourselves from being fully known by saying we can't be wrong or we can't be bad to interact with people, right? Mm-hmm. But then to like get through to the point that we need to get to, we have to interact with people. So I'm hearing you say that like gaming helps people accept their whole self and get comfortable showing th- who they are and like where they're at like now mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. like where they want to be. Oh, yeah. And actually, you know what What that makes me think of too is um, – is just the the experience of of creating or playing um, a character um, something that's that I think often happens um, when people make their first characters, and th- this was absolutely true for me, um, but, but but not just for me. I think this is a common experience: is um, the first character you make looks a lot like you. It might be, it might be like a badass version of you Mm -hmm. or like an edgy version of you, (laughs) like you plus magic and a really cool sword. Uh Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's, it's hard to, when you, when you first start playing, um, especially the first time you have to make a character yourself, someone doesn't like hand you one and say, congratulations, this is private eye Jason. You'll be playing him today. Right. Um, but the first time you have to make a character yourself, it's hard to imagine all the facets of a character that isn't basically yourself. Uh huh. Um, and the more times you play, the easier that becomes. Um, it's, I, I am absolutely still in this process, but, um, I am piece by piece getting better at imagining and creating, um, a character, right? It's not a whole person, right? There's, there's certainly a a distance between a character and like a real human being, but imagining a character that has a personality and flaws and can make choices and has like values and, you know, something that helps them make choices in a game. Right. Mm-hmm. That really isn't me. That isn't just like me. That doesn't want the same things I want all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't really know where else you do that, but um, I really think that there's a kind of empathy there. Yes. Um, you're, you're really trying to imagine what somebody else's experience is like. Um, and, and then care about that person because it's your character and you want them to live and you want them, you want something for them. Right. Uh-huh. Um, Cause they're going to be in the game and you, you, you're going to spend some period of time, like hours um, <laughs> pretending to be this person. So hopefully you like something about them, right. You pick them for a reason. So um, I, I think there's something really interesting about, getting inside of a game as a player and pretending to be someone who, who just really wants things that are different from what you want and cares about things that are different from what you care about. That's so cool. That's so cool. Cause I think like in some ways 
whether or not we realize it, we are creating who we are, like who we are as people. And to create like to create another like idea of a being with desires and wants and and awareness and actions that are different from us, I think would also to do that would also help us to see the ways that we create like our thoughts, our emotions, our concept of self. And mm-hmm. like having the two separate from each other helps give both of them like life and awareness and like possibility. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I never thought of gaming that way. I kind of want to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get on the phone with you and end up with like <laughs> a very strong desire to join the gaming community. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should schedule something. Come be a goat with me or oh an God. animal or something very something very chill. A hundred percent. I promise you'll have fun. <laughs> I want to do the goat crashers. So next time you do that, that will be Oh my, my gosh. RPG. Yes. <laughs> it's great. I'll send you to like a trampoline park or yes. oh something deeply absurd. I already Summer know camp. the kind of goat that I want to be. I, this is going to sound bizarre. <laughs> I, have, I have a friend in grad school and he, um, he's a sculpture guy and his family owns like a goat farm and they have like different breeds of goats and they have brought them. Apparently the national vote, uh, goat convention happens in Kentucky every year. So oh they goodness. would, they would bring them all the way from San Antonio, Texas, all the way up to Louisville and then like stay with us and hang out with us. And I would go to the goat convention and like watch, yeah. watch the goat shows. And so I a hundred percent am a dwarf goat. Like <laughs> 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 this is happening. I know the like modeled fur that I would have. Like I know <laughs> I've got this goat. It's already in existence in my heart. <laughs> That that's so cool. I also am like super <laughs> fascinated with the role as storyteller. I think you could take out storyteller and replace it with like meditation guide <laughs> or like imagination director. <laughs> yes. Like oh yes. Yeah. And so I I also think like people have been doing this for like thousands of centuries, right? Like we have bards are people like sitting around campfires telling ghost stories and the, mm-hmm. the power that we have as people to sort of like go on an emotional journey together, which I think is also part and parcel of, as I'm hearing you talk, like when you say community, I think people could go out to an event in their community. Like they could go to a parade or they could go to a like barbecue or whatever, but the connection that they have with other people at just like regular social events is going to depend on how deeply they can get into conversation with any one person there. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're gaming together, it sounds like you're all going on an emotional journey together and there's mm-hmm. like different facets of what you're experiencing, but like you have this sort of like format that helps you really understand each other and understand yourselves. That is like fun enjoyable and something that everyone can do together and so I think like I think that's so cool I guess that's what I'm trying to say (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. well and and if you have a good guide you know you have a good game runner um they they should be helping you um to participate they should be helping everyone at the table to participate that so can like can you tell me a little bit more about the game runner so you you buy a book or you write your own stories so there are a couple of resources that I use. 
The first one is a copy of the rules to the game. Um, and one thing that I want to put into your um, in notes for this show is a link to the um, quick rules for the game that I run the most, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And it actually contains two things. Um, it has the, the brief um, rules for how to make a character and play the game, Call of Cthulhu. And then it also has in the back um, one of the most beloved scenarios Um, which means like the structure for actually playing a game, all of the notes that somebody would need to run a game um, with players at a table called The Haunting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the most famous um, Call of Cthulhu games. It's often people's first game. Um, It's the first thing that I ever ran um, and the first thing that many people ever run. So um, I would love to link that in the show so that if people are curious and want to try this particular genre, they can. Um, And uh, the other thing that I used besides having the rules and then having a scenario, um, which basically means it's the outline. It's like looking at the script for um, a play or a show. It has, um, it has like the map of, you know, it has the, um, the details for the location. It has an outline of a story, um, and how, and like what clues could be found there. Um, if it has locations, it might have a person that your players can talk to Mm -hmm. and it would tell you like, what's the key information that they would know. So let's say, um, that, uh, the players need to, go look up newspaper articles. So they head to the library to look at the library archives. Um, I, as the game runner, would then need to pretend to be the librarian so that when they show up at the library, I don't just say, well, there is a library and you can go look at articles. I actually interact with them at the library. So when they show up, I'm like, you walk in the large doors and there's a a big heavy wooden desk and behind it stands this older woman with her gray hair tucked back in a bun and a heavy sweater. And she glances up at you over thick glasses and and says, yes, can I help you? (laughs) And I let, I let them actually walk up to the counter and, and ask for what they want. And, um, you know, what is she, what is she, Um, is a part of the conspiracy and she doesn't want them to find the articles. What if getting information out of her is difficult? That could be part of the story, but maybe it's not. Maybe she's just a regular librarian and they talk to her and she says, Oh yes, there. And she leads you over to the stacks "Ah, somewhere in here. And these articles for 1860, you can, you can look, let me know if you need any other help. And she walks away. Uh, And I just, you know, I pretend to be the people um, as the game runner. And, and help them, you know, accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And they start digging, you know, they start digging through the stacks and they'll, they'll probably roll some dice to see if they find what they need to find or how long it takes to do it. It takes <laughs> them all day and they have to waste all their time because they, they're terrible, you know, they're terrible <laughs> what they're doing. Sometimes the dice do that to you. Um, anyway, so that's, those are the kinds of things that, um, the scenario would do. They would let me know that the library is a location that has the newspaper articles in it. And then it might have a little clip. It might even have something I could photocopy and hand to them once they find the article they're looking for. Um, Or it might just give me a couple of bullet points and be like, great. Once they find the article, let them know this piece of information. So it's laying out this little trail of pieces. 
That's if so there's cool. something they have to fight, it'll give me information on, um, you know, the bad guy or the monster so that when they fight it, I know what I need to roll to fight back as the monster. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, you know, it's my script or it's my, my guide to be the story for them or to help them have the story. Yeah, um, but it's like a, I, I feel like it's like an outline and then you fill in, you know, it's like a frame and you paint the picture inside of it. Yes. Um, the other thing that I think is really helpful is that there are tons of other people already doing this. And so um, there are shows besides Critical Role that I've already mentioned. There are shows on YouTube. You can watch other people do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see some people play, you know, Call of Cthulhu or other kinds of role-playing games. Um, and you can also watch videos where people explain the rules to you or give you um, like a review of, um, of a module, a story that, you, that you're thinking you might want to run. You know, somebody else may have read it and reviewed it and they can talk to you about how it went and what they thought were the strengths and the weaknesses and kind of give you a heads up on like, you know, how it would go or where they were surprised. Um, so fortunately there are, you know, there are a lot of people in this hobby. And so, um, that can be a really good way to get advice. Um, I know, uh, Facebook is not the most modern, um, social media platform, but, um, it's sort of taken the place of, you know, what forums used to be. Right. And, um, there's a really excellent Facebook group, um, that includes tons of people who play the game that I run the most. And it also includes a lot of the people who publish, um, the the ma- like the the official rule books as well as a lot of the major like scenarios uh-huh. are all in a group together on Facebook yeah. um, and so that's also a great place if I need specific advice or I have a question um, I can always post it up there and get um, far more advice and ideas <laughs> than I ever need but there's always some good ones in there so there's a lot of sharing that goes on like within yes. the community yes there is. I think like, I mean, especially as you're talking about people who do voice acting, you know, professionally, are there professional like DMs and, and storytellers? Like, are there professional people where people pay to be in their game just for, just to work with the, the, the storyteller? I think it's a really logical next step for a limited number of people, but there are almost no professional GMs right now. Um, there are p- people who are professional content creators. Uh-huh. So they, they may have um, a story that they're putting out online through Twitch or Twitch and YouTube, something like that, that they're streaming. Um, but in terms of only having like pay-to-play games, um, there's very little that um, right now. You can run a lot at conventions, um, but like the individual pay for that is also really small. It's more like it covers like your cost to attend or maybe your hotel room. There are structures for that. Sure. So um, unfortunately, um, there's there's not right now. I think it's still sort of a space where there could be more more innovation and kind of more pioneering. Um, the other way uh, that people do make some money at the hobby at this hobby is by writing and publishing scenarios that other people can use. Yeah. Um, so there's a very active community um, doing that. Uh, in fact, I'm about to have my first published scenario a little bit later this year. 
<laughs> I'm so excited. I am so excited. Thank you. Um, <laughs> absolutely um, a goal of mine. And I, I don't think this is the last time it will happen, but um, I did not expect it to happen so soon. So I'm, I'm really delighted. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about where I'm going to debut too. So um, all of that has, has come together in a really awesome way. And it had a lot to do with um, community, the people that I met and uh, the people that they knew. Um, those connections helped me to, to find um, a great editor and, and publisher and, and uh, you know, yes. kind of have that all, have that all happen. So yeah, it's all happening a little faster than I expected it to, but I'm, I am thrilled. I call those synchronicities. Like when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, the like universe or God or whatever you want to call it, like aligns to give you the opportunities you're supposed to have. Like, yeah, sorry. That, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was just a unbidden theory there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I am so happy for you. What game did you write a scenario for? Oh, for Call of Cthulhu, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so were there any like hurdles or roadblocks that you experienced on your path to developing yourself as a gamer or as a role, like as a um, leader? Um, yes, there's, I mean, there's definitely a process to it. Um, I, I will say that I'm, I am really grateful for the people that I've met. I think that, um, living in the city where um origins happens it's a specific gaming convention um has been really fortunate so um this hometown convention it hosts about 30,000 people um so it's definitely not small it's a it's a large-ish medium-sized convention Mm -hmm. um and there's a 30-year there's a um, a group here with a 30 year history of running Call of Cthulhu games, um, and meeting them and um, working to become a game master on their roster, um, which I did last year. Um, I like tried out and, and became a part of their group last year. Um, was a really important part of getting into an excellent network of. Um, of well-connected people in, in this hobby. Um, so if I had been, you know, in another city or another state, um, I, I don't know that that would have happened. Yeah. And so that, that's one of those things that I think accelerated um, and will continue to help accelerate um, the, the ways that I can, you know, be engaged in this hobby is just, was that, you know, was that happening early on in my, in my networking? Um, I mean, it, like so many things, the people that, you know, can, can make a huge difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really powerful, but, um, a couple of things that, um, that I would say continue to be, um, interesting challenges anyway. Um, one of them is that I continue to try to find time and actually quarantine has been really good for this. Um, I continue to try to try to find time to actually be a player in other Mm -hmm. people's games. So one thing that happened a lot at the beginning was I was not well connected. And so I was the one running most of the games in the, that I knew about. 
And so that meant that I spent very little time being a player, uh-huh. um, which is fine. Most of the time, I really do like to, to run a game. I love it. I love organizing it. Um, and, you know, I didn't know a lot of people who were also doing that. But um, there's a lot that I can learn and, and see from watching other, from, from experiencing other people who run this game well. And they're going to have different strengths than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are skills that I have really worked on. For example, I have really worked on trying to give um, detailed or um, really uh, like five senses kinds of descriptions of environments. Like I want my players to walk into a space or walk out. Um, into the environments in the game, and I want them to really get a sense of what that space is. Or if they see um, a monster or something strange, I want them to get a sense of it. What are they smelling? What do they see? What do they hear? Um, I try to really be conscious of that and not just say, uh, you know, you walk into the barn. I yeah. never want to leave it at that. I want, you know, I want them to really have a sense of atmosphere, a sense of, I want it to feel like something you know, when you're in a game of mine. So I've, I've really worked on that. I've really paid a lot of attention to it. Um, and I'm at the point now where that's, um, that's something that I get uh, consistent positive feedback on in my games that people Yay. really, you know, <laughs> they really feel like they, they get great descriptions from me, but that's not the only thing, right? That's just, that's just one aspect of, you know, uh, storytelling that you could be, you could be good at, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, being able to be a player in the games of people who, who do this well and see what they do and like observe them being really good at their craft, um, has, was especially challenging at the beginning, um, because I, I just didn't know other people who were doing it. Um, but now with quarantine, we've <laughs> all moved to running online and we all have had all this extra time because so many people um, have, you know, had to go on furlough or, um, you know, just all this, you know, chaos with, with jobs and, and timing. Um, and so many downsides to that, right? Like, I don't want to, you know, completely hand wave that. But it has meant that um, we've been doing a lot of gaming and I have gotten to be a player a lot more. Um, and it's been so good for me. Um, for this hobby to, to get to be in all these other people's games. I'm a better player than I was, you know, two months ago. And I've also just gotten to observe a lot more. That's awesome. So if there's anyone out there looking to get started on a gaming adventure, what type of advice would you have for them? Um, a couple of things I would say, um, first of all, that, uh, the biggest thing is, um, to just try it. Um, you do not have to get every rule just right to run a game. In fact, no one will care if you get every rule just right. Your players won't care. Um, and it, it will not matter. Um, I think that uh, the rules can be something that really feels like a roadblock to people running their first game. Um, and uh, I just want to really say, like, do your best, whatever your best is for getting the first one under your belt. Like have a good time. Yeah. That's the whole point. That's really <laughs> the whole point is to have a good time. You know, 
give the rules a shot and, and you'll figure more out as you go. Um, the second is uh, to, um, to know that, that there are a lot of resources out there. So I recommend watching, you know, try watching somebody run a game um, through like YouTube um, or watching, you know, watching somebody who talks through the rules or talks through your system. And finally, um, know that you do not have to write your own content. It doesn't matter if you do. Um, there are, you know, if you go to a forum or that kind of thing, you're going to find somebody who's like, yeah, I've always made up all my own stuff on the fly for 20 years. Like, don't, don't be that person. Like, please, like you, you don't have to be that person and no one will care if you are. Um, there's a great history of um, big stories that lots of people have experienced in these games. There are classics um, and those things are, they're great for a reason. They're great because they have good surprises and they're fun and lots of people have enjoyed them. So I'd say pick up something that, um, that you see a lot of people recommending and give it a shot. Um, it doesn't have to be the perfect one. It doesn't have to be exactly like what you think you'll run in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, but go Pick for up it and give it a shot. That's awesome. Well, this has been so interesting and thank you so much for sharing your expertise with me and the listeners today. Sure. So I just, I really appreciate being invited to do it. I, I love this hobby and I, I love the, the experiences and, and the people and community um, that I get because of it. Um, it's, it's been like just this big, beautiful, creative find for me um, in my adulthood. And I'm, I'm excited to, to think that maybe somebody else will get to, to start because of uh, hearing about this or even just get to see some great stories because they go watch somebody else play. Hey, everybody out there. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And thank you so much for tuning in. I feel so grateful to have you listening to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I have a favor that I would love to ask you for, and that is to help this episode and others like it reach more people. Would you please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform if you're listening on Apple Podcast? and you like this episode, please, please consider leaving a five-star review and maybe even a comment. Even just a couple of words go a really long way to helping the podcast grow and helping get messages like this out there to those who need to hear them and find them, especially people who maybe are looking for a way to develop their imagination in their meditation practice, finding RPG games might be a really great thing for them. So also you can share this episode on all platforms. There's a little share button there that you can hit if you know someone who could use this message. So thanks again, sending you love, encouragement, and joy on your sacred adventures. Bye for today.